Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo is always joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. And today, we're very pleased and honored to be uh, honored to be welcoming back to the program uh, Michael Graney and Dawn Brohan. Uh, you might remember in a prior conversation we had, we discussed uh, economics. Joe, if you want to go into the breach, talk about economics. In fact, nowadays, if you want to go into the breach, talk about anything. But having said that, economics is really important, especially now. Um, and this is an interesting topic. We're going to be talking about creating economic independence. Because I think if you think you're that that you're economically independent in America and you're you're a working person, okay, you're paycheck to paycheck. Okay, I don't care if you, how much money you have in your 401k or how much money you have in stocks. Okay, your paycheck to paycheck and your wealth could go away like that because we are not, we are not independent economically. So this is an important conversation to have. So it's great to have Michael and Dawn back on the show. Don't forget that they uh, one of our prior interviews we discussed uh, their book, The Greater Reset. Borrowing a phrase from uh, Klaus Schwab, uh, the Greater Reset. That's out at Tan Books, and we'll give uh, Dawn and Michael an opportunity to let you know where you could buy the book. Now, some of you might remember Dawn and Michael. Having said that, a quick bio. Michael Graney is a CPA, uh, MBA, a board member, and director of research for the Center for Economic and Social Justice in Arlington, Virginia. He's published several articles and books on many subjects, including Catholic social teaching, banking, monetary history, and economic personalism. He is a graduate of Notre Dame. Dawn Brohan is the co-founder, board member, and director of communications of CESJ. She's edited books, written articles, and organized forums on the natural law based just third way, economic democratization, and justice-based management. Dawn serves as project director and a senior instructor for CESJ's global online Justice University. She is a graduate of Georgetown University. Michael and Dawn, welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Welcome. We're, I'm very honored to be on your show. This is going to be great. We promise we're not going to get you in too much trouble, but no guarantees. Because, right? <laughs> uh, again, I mean, we I think we said it before. When you use words like economic justice, right away you're painted with a certain brush, okay, by the right. When you use words like free market and capitalism, you're painted with a certain brush by the left. Well, we're a Catholic. Okay, Dawn, I know you're not. Okay, I, I, I get it. But, Catholic but, with a small C, Joe. Exactly. I love you. We love you, Dawn. Universal, okay? 
the teaching is universal. And I love the fact that you have a, a background in natural law. And we're going to get into these things because I think this is what educates most people on what's really going on out there in the economy, regardless of what Fox Business and CNBC are telling you. So we thank you both. And we're very honored to have you back on the show. With that, I'm going to I'm going to pass it over to Joe Resinello, and we're going to we're going to get ready for a great conversation. Uh, we always begin with the prayer in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, like Michael, um, I have an auditing background. I did that for 12 years. And I can remember around the year 2000, I did some work in South America. And I went to Sao Paulo. At the time, um, it was the third largest populated uh, city in the world. 25 million people, 5 million living in the first world, 20 million living in the third. And it was eye-opening. And basically, we're not quite there, but I would say some of our cities on the West Coast, Los Angeles and San Francisco, are starting to point in that direction. The gap between the rich and the poor is growing dramatically in America. And if you don't see it, frankly, you got your head in the sand. It's happening right before our eyes. The middle class is shrinking, and that's what makes America what it is, the middle class. We had the largest middle class in the world. I don't know if we would still do, but it is shrinking, and with it is the American dream disappearing. So I guess first to Dawn, how did we get here and how has globalization contributed to this reality? Because it is reality. Well, I think um, I both chose in your introductions, you're pointing to the answer. And that has to do with the systems that we operate from. And we can use broad brush the capitalist system or the socialist slash communist system or the combination of the two, which is uh, what most of the world operates under today. And the problem with these systems is they ignore and they diminish the sovereignty and the dignity of each human being throughout the entirety of their lives. And so when we talk about economic personalism, we really are looking at a different way of viewing how we all uh, live, how we uh, are able to produce and buy the things we need, um, in, in how do we accumulate wealth that will give us the kind of economic independence that really underlies what we call the American dream. And I, you know, I just, your questions have so much richness to them. There's so many different aspects to answer with, but even looking at the idea of the American dream, what that has become in most people's minds is owning your own home. Okay. And maybe owning nice cars and, you know, pretty much being able to, um, have some control over the, your lives and your children having opportunity. But largely it is owning a home, which when you think about that is really it, it, in many senses, that's just a very materialistic view of the dream. I think that most people who came to America and the founding of this country has to do with economic independence. And with that, you have the choice and the opportunity to, if you know you want to own your own home, you have the means to do that. But we have to get back to this central question of who owns the things 
that produce goods and services. And that question is fundamental towards correcting what's happened in the 21st century. It's just become even more obvious that when you look at what is producing the bulk of goods and services, well, we or, you know, immediately economists, without even realizing it, will say, you know, human being, human labor in one form, it could be manual, but even entrepreneurial human labor. Well, what they're ignoring is the impact of advancing technologies, artificial intelligence, robotics, all forms of automation. And if you don't own these things, you will not have the means to be economically independent when your job is done away with, which is going to happen more, more quickly all the time. So we have to look for a system, an economic system. And when we use the word economics, people's eyes just glaze over. Okay. And it's, you know, it, it's unfortunate because it ought not happen, but Dawn, it ought not happen. Their eyes, that's why we're doing this at the front line. We're <laughs> it behooves you yes. as a human being to understand economics and don't just think of it as this bland science. This affects our lives. I'm sorry, Dawn. I just had to throw that, that in. Go ahead. You are absolutely right, Joe. It, it, and, it, most people spend, you know, the majority of their waking hours dealing with economics, how they're going to feed and clothe and shelter and educate themselves it's, and participate in the political system, too. So, you know, you're, you're absolutely right that we have to think about how we we all consume infants, newborns consume people on, you know, their last dying breath. Well, pe people who are at the end of their lives, they're still consuming. The question is, how do we produce? And obviously, with human labor, if that's less necessary, or there are people who cannot contribute their labor, we better look at the other way that you can produce and look for a system that can grow the economy, but do so in a way that it connects every human being to the means to acquire that future productive wealth. So Dawn, um, we're, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna come back because we want to talk about. What you, what you guys are doing, all right, and and the system that you're suggesting. I want to bring Michael into the conversation. Just get a quick comment from Michael on the first question um, about globalization contributing to to this to this this. Yes, I, I hate to say it because it sounds like we're on the news, but it, it, it this this income gap, this wealth gap, and it, like Joe said, if just to go take a picture of San Francisco and 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 and, and L.A. and you'll see. I think so. Like what, you know, the model for what some of the globalists and the oligarchs like Klaus Schwab want. But real quick, Michael, I want I want you to come in and Dawn. We'll get back. I want you to discuss the systems you're talking about. Yeah. Well, first of all, everyone, as you say, their eyes glaze over when you talk about economics. But what is economics? It's the study of the production, distribution, and consumption of marketable goods and services. In other words, if you want to uh, live, you have to cover your food, clothing, and shelter. And economics is concerned with where do you get it, how do you, how, how you produce it, how you get it, and how you consume it. Now, what has gone wrong with that? Well, uh, possibly to oversimplify, John Maynard Keynes, he invented this science of economics and getting it from Malthus, you know, the dismal science. And what he did was turn economics into some, from something so simple that anybody could understand it into something so complex, even he couldn't understand it. 
if you've ever tried to read any of his books, like The General Theory of Employment, Interest, and Money, which you read it and you find out it has nothing to do with employment, interest, and money understood properly, uh, he turned economics into a magical formula. You wave your magic wand called money, which is a mystical thing created by the state, and these ma things magically come to pass. Well, if we go back to somebody as primitive as, say, Adam Smith, you know, the guy who wrote The Wealth of Nations, who was actually a moral philosopher, not an economist, thank goodness, you'll find out that all he talks about in rather, you know, sometimes turgid 18th century terms is how do we produce things, how do we distribute things, and how do we consume things? Well, that's too simple for people like Keynes and Malthus and Ricardo and all these people that you tried to learn about in school. And this is why people hate economics, because it doesn't make sense. And so what we try to do with economic personalism is return to the human person and ask, how, what do we need? Well, we need food, clothing, and shelter. Okay, how do we get it? And the primary means you get it is either, you know, let's set aside charity and theft. You either produce it yourself or you produce something to trade to somebody who produces what you want. That's it. That is the entire science of economics right there. Now, but, all these but, mystical things that they put into, uh, that's just window dressing. But Michael, I learned when I was a kid that you know, like, uh, uh, didn't anybody tell you the more you know, the more complicated the idea, the more valid it is. Which, which I oh, mean, is yeah, it, sure. I learned that in freshman year in high school at Seton Hall Prep. In other words, you know, like so it's a uh, it's some I forgot exactly how you would describe it's a fallacy. The idea that the more complicated an idea is, and the smarter you sound when you present that complicated idea, well, it must be true. You, it's true because you don't understand it. You know, and I think that's part of the problem. Yeah. Let's keep the not conversation to going. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, not to contradict you, but what you just said is how you get an A on a paper, not <laughs> what is necessarily true. Yeah, and in school, remember, it's all about getting A's on paper. Joe Resinello, oh, where do you want to go? We're being joined by, by Michael Graney and Dawn Brohan. We're talking about creating economic independence. Very important conversation. Joe Resinello. I want to circle back to something Dawn said, because it's important, AI, artificial intelligence, because I think a lot of people kind of gloss over that. That is very real. Um, let's break it down in, you know, in terms of uh, in a simple way that I'm sure you're seeing it in your community. Garbage pickup. You used to have guys picking up the cans. Now you don't. You have a mo an arm. The truck comes, it picks up the can. And what happened to the guys? They're out of a job. Well, this is happening in the corporate field as well. A lot of service uh, jobs. AI is taking them. It's happening. It, it is. Even trading. This was a very lucrative profession. Traders. Now there's no need for a trading pick. No more traders. There's no more traders down Those there. Those men made, they had Ivy League degrees and they made a lot of money. That's gone. So I'm just telling you, AI is real. Now, this is what I want to throw at Dawn. Now, we've seen different economic changes throughout history. 
We went from an agrarian society to an industrial society. Obviously, skills had to change. And this is something I want to learn from it. And I, because I kind of poo poo it, I say, well, AI's coming, but we'll just do different things. Now, clearly, I don't have the intellect to build an AI system. But if you listen to people like Elon Musk, who isn't the boogeyman, if you listen to what he's saying and he sees what's coming, he thinks that this is going to be a very precarious situation for a lot of people in this world. This is very real. Um, Dawn, how do we navigate this? Because, I mean, I think the Great Reset folks want to throw us a crumb and give us like a standard $1,000 a month income to keep the populace satisfied while they stay rich. I don't want that way, to be honest with you. I don't come from that mold. I want to work. Um, how do we navigate this? Because it's real. It, it really is. And I think people have to take it serious. Well, I think it goes to the question of who owns the AI or the robotics or the automation and the technology and who will own the future technologies that have yet to be created. And how is it they come to own these things? And this is a very critical thing. It lies in our concepts of money and our concepts of money creation and the roles of those institutions that make it available to finance capital formation, for example, the, the advanced technologies. The other part of this is that the way you can own, I'm not a genius as far as if I, someone gave me a robot or gave me a program, you know, a computer with artificial intelligence, you know, programmed into it, I would not know what to do with that, even if I owned it, okay. But I can own shares in corporations that are well-managed, that are well-staffed, that are using these, for, these means of production to produce goods and services to sell in the marketplace. So anyone, can own shares in a corporation. And the corporation is a beautiful social tool that was created that could protect the personal assets of individuals. So if the risk that you may undertake with a, you know, an economic or business project is confined to what that corporation owns, you don't have to worry about your house being repossessed. So we have these different social technologies and money is the key to changing this, how we look at money. And it will go back to this notion of it must represent real things that are either produced already or going to be produced. So if you know, if you think of that versus money as a commodity that you buy and sell, I mean, it's, it's really absurd. It's gotten onto the gambling casino. And so that and the idea that uh, the government, even though it's supposed to be independent of the central bank or the central bank is supposed to be independent of the government, today you have virtually every country is using the central bank as a printing press. When they cannot collect enough taxes currently, what they do is they say, okay, we're going to use the debt. We're gonna have to borrow money. We're gonna create money that is a, an obligation to repay, and we're going to use it for all sorts of good purposes. You know, it may be um, uh, subsidies to farmers, or it may be for health care or education. We don't have the money now, 
but we have some confidence in the future, we'll be able to tax future generations. That is a horrible, and obviously it's, it, it opens up the dangers of inflation, which we can now see, and this huge debt. I mean, just, I think it was yesterday they announced that, uh, and this I think is a low figure, that the total debt, I think this is federal debt, or national debt is above $31 trillion. $31 trillion. It, and they yeah. try to convince us we're not on the road to being a third world country. Those are third world numbers. You've okay? got it. You've got it. And if we don't get off the path we're on, and this is the problem with the Great Reset, they're still operating in a concept of money that doesn't connect it to actual things of value. You can't just hand a piece of paper over to someone and say, oh, now you can use that to buy groceries. Someone had to produce the groceries and you have to have the income to purchase those groceries. Go on. Let me let me bring Michael in for a second here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Let's talk about money a little bit, Michael. Why is it that we we're convinced we've been convinced, at least uh, we Dawn and Michael, we've been told that, you know, we need a we need a Federal Reserve. We need a strong central bank. Now, I don't know whether or not that's true. What I do know is true is this. OK, I don't see. Let me put it this way. You're either going to have uh, income going up, prices going up all through, like by, by constantly over time printing money. Now, if I say anything wrong, please correct me. Or you can have a stable money supply, in which case the value of that dollar you have is, or the dollar itself might not increase, but the value of that dollar will increase. Now, am I wrong in that? Because I seem to remember that when I was a kid, my father used to tell me that in 1965, he went to work for Consolidated Freightways for $2 an hour. I went, how the hell did you live on that? Because eggs were three cents a dozen and milk was two cents a gallon and things like that. The, 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 this, this, this monetary policy that the world now is following, okay, and has been, Michael Graney, um, why is it that people are, are buying into it? Why is, why did they, how did they convince us that this is necessary when many people are saying, I think like you two are saying, is this is not necessary and we need to change how we're doing things. Michael, am I wrong? No, you're not. And uh, again... I blame Keynes and his uh, economic theory ancestors for this. As Don said, they think of money as this mystical thing created by the state or somebody else, and then you can use this to, to perform economic transactions. Well, no, that is completely the opposite of reality, because what money is, is the means by which you carry out economic transactions, that's correct. But you don't derive economic transactions from money. You derive money from economic transactions. If you've ever heard, uh, if you recall from your economics courses, the quantity theory of money equation, M times V equals P times Q. I have nightmares about it, but go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Well, the reason you have nightmares about it is because they have it exactly backwards, and the way they interpret it is mathematical insanity. According to the standard theory, it's called the currency principle. There will be a test on this after the show. Okay. The, I love it. Uh, <laughs> the whole idea is that the quantity of money determines the level of economic activity. You have to have money before you can do anything. Well, in reality, you have to go with something called the banking principle. Don't worry about it. It doesn't necessarily involve banks. 
But the banking principle is that no, the level of economic activity determines the quantity of money. In other words, you have two people. One has a bushel of apples, one has a piglet. And they go to the market and they say, I want to trade my bushel of apples for your piglet. And instantly the government comes in and says, oh, no, you can't do that because you don't have the money that only I can give you. Or some other authority comes in and says, oh, you need my money in order to carry out your transaction. Well, a sane person, such as medieval man who's supposed to be illiterate and stupid, will say, uh, go to the place that's not heaven because I have these apples. He has that piglet. We'll just exchange them. We don't need you and your money. Well, actually, you don't need his money, but you need your money because when you, came, when you struck a bargain between the two of you, you created money, believe it or not. And the, the, whole, you know, the whole idea of currency, you know, current money, money that you can carry around and use in a general way. This all comes from people having produced something or you have something of value, such as an agreement that I will produce something, and you say, let me trade this agreement to you for what you have that I want. And so they, they agree and they take the other person takes this agreement and trades it to somebody else. And that other person takes it and trades it to somebody else. And somewhere along the line, that agreement comes back to you and someone says, I have this agreement that you handed out six months ago, and it says that you will deliver a cow on this date to me if I present you this agreement. And so you say, here's the cow, and you redeem the promise. The, the whole idea of money is that there is something of value behind it that will be delivered on demand. This is why you, if you look on the old paper money, it says, we'll pay to the bearer on demand. Mm. Well, if you present this to the original issuer of the money and say, I want the thing of value that stands behind this certificate, the whole idea is that you have to deliver it. This is why all money should be backed by hard assets or by agreements that will turn into hard assets at a specified date. Michael Graney, let me stop you there for a second because we're going to take a break in a minute. Um, but then I'm just going to bring it back to Dawn for a second because in the next segment, see, we've done a lot of talking now, but now we're going to talk about what you guys are working on in terms of solutions, all right? We don't just complain around here at the front line with Joe and Joe, okay? We want to offer solutions, and that's what you guys are doing. But, Dawn, let me ask you a question. Uh, I only have a minute before the break or so. Um, but what you guys are describing is, is an action of the government. So then it would strike me logically that to undo some of this or maybe all of this or begin to reform it or change it or replace it is going to require an act of government, and that's going to require political will. Dawn, do you see that as a possibility, as, especially given uh, the, who we call our political leaders on both sides of the aisle nowadays? Well, you, you're correct that this is going to require a change in the laws and uh, the way our institutions, such as our banking and central banking systems work, because they're working according to specific laws now sending them the wrong direction. So we do propose a specific set of reforms, and we will need 
the political will of people. And that, uh, well, that's going to require people, organized people power, which means educating the, you know, people, the citizens about this alternative in order to support laws, which are not going to be using government to create money. It is really government creating conditions so that the money system operates properly. So we'll discuss that more um, in the, the next portion of the, the discussion. Absolutely, because because again, and we're very interested in what you're working on. We're very, because obviously a lot of people have a lot of questions that we're, we're talking about today, but nobody's offering a solution. The right offers this solution. The left offers this solution. I, don't, I think a lot of it is just a bunch of, well, let me not say the word because this is Catholic <laughs> radio. Um, but uh, you're with us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Rasinello. We are discussing creating economic independence with Dawn Brohan and Michael Graney. Now, you guys have a book, The Greater Reset. Dawn, where can our listeners go out and buy that book? Well, if they go to TAN Books, T-A-N Books.com, uh, they can purchase it directly from the publisher. It's also available through amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com, but we're trying to steer people towards tan, tan books. We, we, say all, we say all the time, we need to support our Catholic publishers. If you don't absolutely need to buy something from, from, the, from the larger entities like Amazon, then don't. Especially in this case, support our publishers, support our authors. Tan Books, the book is The Greater Reset. I'm going to go out on a limb and say there's a lot more truth in that book than, than if, if Klaus Schwab you know, spoke for the next thousand years on his Great Reset. So uh, Dawn Brohorn and Michael Graney are with us at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're going to talk solutions on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello, way in the breach, talking about creating economic independence. Um, and we're being joined by Michael Graney and Dawn Brohorn. They are authors of a book that we interviewed them on a few months ago uh, called The Greater Reset. We suggest all of our listeners go out and buy that at TAN Books, T-A-N Books. Uh, Joe Racinello, let's talk about solutions. I'm going to hand it over to you. Well, on the, in the other segment, we talked about debt. We talked about money that basically had no uh, tangible uh, worth behind it, just printing money, throwing money at issues. Now we're going to talk solutions. Um, and I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Joe Pasillo. I wish we had a question and answer on the show because I, I can't stress enough um, You know what these guys – these are the good guys out there. They're trying to help people, um, really, and because yeah. people need help. Uh, people can't get off their feet. People are in debt. And frankly, the topic today is creating economic independence. You are a slave if you're in debt. That's slavery, modern slavery. And the majority of Americans are deeply in debt and they don't see a solution out. And frankly, I think that's why a lot of Americans are reaching for straws. They're looking for political solutions, which are not going to provide answers. These guys are trying to give you solutions that work for the common man. That's what it's all about. And frankly, Dawn brought to our attention something that recently happened in Missouri. And I want to talk about that. Uh, the governor there, Mike Parson, signed into law a House bill in July of 2022. It's called the Citizen Land Development Cooperative Act. 
Dawn, what's this about and why is this significant and how can it help the average guy and gal out there? Because they sure as heck need help. Okay, I'm going to answer your question from the big picture into what you just mentioned. And we hadn't answered your question about globalization. You know, how does that impact um, the way, you know, people's ability to live freely and become economically independent? And that is the nature of a modern, technologically advanced, uh, globally connected uh, world. And so that's part of the free market that we're, we can't just be thinking locally in terms of economic solutions. Eventually, it has to be um, every human being on the planet has to be able to live within a system that promotes their uh, dignity and their economic independence. So when we look at, you know, the solution, the, the big two areas will be how do we extend the right or the opportunity to acquire uh, capital to every person, doing it in a way that will not take away any ownership or property rights from existing owners? And it goes again to that question of money. And we have to look at, for example, I think the key thing is when we look at money, go back to the original idea of money as a, a way of measuring value. It's not something we should worship. It's not valuable. You can't consume it. it, but it represents, it should represent real goods and services that we all need. So that's looking at, you know, eventually really the free market system needs to operate in a more sound and just way. And it's going to take these really a different way of looking at how every person on the planet can become economically independent. So we obviously can't make wave a wand and change the world tomorrow. So that's, you know, that's not going to happen certainly overnight. What can we do at the next level, national level? And that's where we talk about this idea called the Economic Democracy Act. And it's mainly fun, uh, looking at what sort of reforms in terms of our money system and our tax system could we enact uh, with very minimal change, really, in terms of most institutions, but mainly it's there to connect people to the means, the money, to acquire the things that can pay for themselves. So, you know, when Joe was talking about debt, there are different types of debt because that always means, you know, a loan that you have to re repay. Most citizens around the world, the only debt they know is consumer debt. You know, they borrow in order to buy things that they're going to have to have another source of income to pay for. What we're talking about is having money and credit available to purchase things, capital, and by capital, we mean every non-human thing that is used to produce goods and services. How can money and the money system make that available in a sound business-like way? This has to meet all standards that a, a, a good business, when it makes it goes to a lender, it would present a business plan. And what would a lender expect to see in order to make a loan? Once you have that, you know that you have the ability to produce, if you have these new you know, new capital instruments, you know you have customers with money, and that's another key, customers with money, then we will be able to 
create money as needed, just these symbols now with the expectation that that purchase of capital will repay itself because it's going to allow the business to produce more goods and services. And, you know, you'll have customers who will buy it and that will produce profits that repay the loan. We can connect every person to the growth of corporations in terms of the way they're going to finance their new growth. And that's basically what the Economic Democracy Act is. It has nothing to do with any form of redistribution. It's looking towards the future, looking at the idea of equal ownership opportunity is the critical change that we need to make in terms of how each of us thinks of ourselves in the economy as not only a consumer, we also have to be producers and we have to produce enough so that we consume, we are able to consume what we want to be consuming. Um, so when we look at that big plan, and, and I sh before I go any further, I really have to let um, mention the really the person who is most responsible for coming up with these ideas of how, of how um, money and credit can enable every human being to become a capital owner. And that's uh, Louis Kelso, uh, who he passed away, I think in uh, 1991. Uh, but he and the philosopher Mortimer Adler had written a book in the 50s, late 50s. One was called The Capitalist Manifesto. And we don't uh, CESJ doesn't use that term any, anymore. We personalist is, um, but that was talking about this new way of looking at the economy and economic freedom. What is the basis of that? Their second book called The New Capitalist. This is a proposal to free economic growth from the slavery of savings. That was the subtitle. And that was basically going back to um, what Mike was talking about, banking principles of money, and how the Federal Reserve itself was set up to be able to create money as needed by all types of businesses, agricultural, industrial, commercial. If they had a feasible business project, don't leave, you know, don't make the 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 excuse that there's not enough money in the system to stop that potential growth. As long as you, as Mike said, as long as you have good uh, promises that everyone agrees that are likely to work that um, we'll loan you money. We'll create money for you. Go on. Let me just, let me bring Michael in for a second. Cause I, I'm going to be a little bit of a troublemaker. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm kind of known for that a little bit. <laughs> good. Uh, Michael Graining and Dawn Brohan joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're discussing creating economic independence. Michael, it sounds to me like what, what Dawn just described is giving me access, let's say, and an opportunity to invest in the growth of a particular business. I don't mean to uh, miss uh, characterize what you said, Dawn, but that's what I'm hearing. Some someone out there might just turn around and say, "Well, I can open up a TD Ameritrade account and just go buy a thousand shares of Apple." What's the difference? Talk the to me, Mike. Yeah, the difference is that one of them is. Uh, By the way, Michael, real quick, I cannot it, afford a thousand shares of Apple. But go ahead. That's <laughs> the point. Yeah. point. <laughs> I can't even afford a thousand apples at this point. <laughs> I love it. Well, if I had a piglet, Michael, I'd give him to you. <laughs> but but, see, but seriously, Michael, what I, we we're really talking want you about to describe is, this system for for our audience. So it was a legit question. Uh, why is it different than me? Let's say going in and just directly investing in a particular company through public shares. Okay, why are you investing in that? Are you hoping that the price of the shares will go up and you could sell it at a profit, or that the dividend rate is high and you'll be able to get an income from that? Possibly both. 
Well, not possibly answer the question. Don't say, well, yes and no. Well, I mean, let's say, let's say, um, is, I'd like to derive an income from from an investment. If I have, if I have, you know, dividends, I, I'm sorry, don't are I have never in my experience been much. Uh, but I would love to derive an income from my investment in a corporation, a share of those profits of that corporation. So go ahead, Mike, please. Yeah, and that's what we're talking about. See, in the Middle Ages, they differentiated between investment. And peculation, we call it speculation. Mm -hmm. And the speculators, they buy and sell an asset in order to make a profit off of the change in the value of the asset itself. That's not what we're talking about. Yet okay. that is the way the stock market works today. Why do you buy shares? Well, so that the value will go up and I can sell them at a profit. Or I'll borrow a bunch of shares and sell short and then pay them back when the value is low. So I make money in the change in the value of the asset itself. That's not investment. What we're talking about, and however you get it, is, it, I mean, technically it's irrelevant whether you go to the stock market to buy these or buy them from your friend or do it through an economic democracy account the way we're talking about. As long as the profits or your share of the profits on that asset can pay for the asset. And then afterwards, you derive an income for consumption purposes from that asset. So I go out and I go to the bank, okay, and uh, I borrow $100,000 to buy 10,000 shares of XYZ at $10. Now, again, not looking for ca uh, capital gains, looking for a dividend, okay? Exactly. And, and they're going to give me, as a portion of the profits to use round numbers, um, I'm entitled to a dollar a share. Um, as as my share of the profits in that corporation. So now I have ten thousand um, dollars. Do I have? And let's say that's paid out annually, ten percent a year, okay, whatever. Um, and then I just pay the bank back out of that dividend, but I still own the asset at the end. Now I I receive and now can keep uh, the full amount of my dividend. Is that what you're saying? That's the whole idea. Yeah. Okay. Mike, I I also just want to interject because I think. Um, one very simple answer to your original question was, you know, am I supposed to go out and take my savings and invest in these things? And, you know, most people do not have that kind of savings in order to invest, in order to acquire enough that they could live off of. So the, I think, Mike, could, uh, maybe you could address the past savings concept and what we call future savings in terms of how people can become owners, because this is critical. If we require people to have assets, have money in order to acquire uh, assets to make more money, most people are going to be left out of the equation. So this is really critical to how we solve this, get out of the conundrum of you got to have money to make money. Yeah. Well, that's why we keep stressing when you buy an asset, it has to be able to pay for itself out of its own future profits. Because what a commercial bank, or if you're English, mercantile bank, and by extension, a central bank, were all invented to create money that can be used to purchase something that pays for itself. That loan of money is repaid and canceled. See, a lot of people don't understand this. When a commercial bank, or at least th here's the theory, when a commercial bank creates money, the idea is that the borrower purchases something that will generate an income 
A portion of that income can be used to pay back the bank plus a service fee. That money is canceled. Not the service fee, of course, because that's the bank's profit. But the money that was created is canceled, thereby avoiding inflation by creating unbacked money. And afterwards, the former borrower can use the income generated by the asset for his consumption income. At no point in the process did that borrower have to use his existing savings, if any. And in that, and today, of course, as you know, that's not even an if any, because there isn't any uh, for most of us. So that this whole thing can be done without you having to save first and then purchase an asset. What you do is you purchase the asset, then save. You actually shift from what we call past savings to future savings. So that instead of having to, you know, suffer the, and, you know, what, what, did, what did Kelso call it? The, the Protestant something ethic or something. It's not the no, work Protestant ethic. work ethic or? No, it's not the work ethic. It's some kind of, oh, forget it. Um, <laughs> the, the important thing is that you don't have to suffer and toil for 40 years to save enough cash to be able to buy an asset that will keep you from starvation. But Michael, I, 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 I'm Joe Arsenal. I'm sorry, but the, there's, there, there's so much to unpack here. But I got to ask you a question. That that type, what you're describing to hear uh, to Joe and I here at the front line with Joe and Joe seems to me what the central bank or, or what banks do with the central bank with the Fed, they go out and they get money at a very low interest rate, and they go out and they lend it out. Now that's what they're investing in. They're investing in lending it out and charging a higher interest rate. Well, that's so because it, they've managed to screw up central banking so much that most people don't even know what the heck it's supposed to be doing anyway. <laughs> I, I, listen, you're at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're the first ones to say that's by design. Let's let, let, let's keep the conversation going a little bit. I wish we could spend 10 hours with you guys. I really do. Um, but we have that pesky thing called work, and we are on the radio. So, uh, <laughs> Dawn Brohan and Michael Graney are joining us here. Creating economic independence is the topic. We please encourage all our audience out there at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network Go out and buy their book, okay? The book is The Greater Reset, and that's out at Tam Books. Joe Racinello, where do you want to go? Because we only have Dawn and Michael for a limited amount of time. I want to go to Missouri. What okay. happened? Because <laughs> so yeah. this is practical stuff. This is real deal. It's passed. Uh, Republican governor signed it. What's happening there? How's it going to help the people? Very good. Yes, I realized, Joe, I didn't answer your question at the beginning. But no, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it's all good. Yes. But yes, so this is at operating at a lower level than national. It's operating at a community or state level. Um, it's providing a way in which you can create equal future capital ownership opportunity for every man, woman, and child. In this case, in a, a locally geographically determined area. And the mechanism that we're using is called the Citizens Land Development Cooperative or Corporation. And its function is uh, to plan and uh, develop land or land development and infrastructure development. And this enables every person in the community to have an equal lifetime, non-transferable voting and 
dividend-paying share in the land through this entity, the CLDC. So this is something, the larger concept will allow people access to money individually so that they can invest in newly issued shares of corporations that want to grow. So that's really the bigger picture is through these uh, individual accounts, investment accounts. But what the CLDC does is focusing on something that is, it's already there, land, God created that. Human beings don't, don't create land, they don't create natural resources. Um, so this is saying, going back to a moral concept, is that who should be entitled to own the land? And I think as long as there was enough land available for private citizens to acquire it and, and do something with it, people were kind of okay with that notion. What's happening now is that people like um, Bill Gates and I think um, it's either Elon Musk or one of the other billionaires, they're now starting to acquire huge amounts of land, which should get us all a little concerned if whether it's the government owning all the land or a few billionaires owning the land, think about that. Then you've got these very, the landowners or the, the uh, you're going to have a real problem there. But Dawn, so, I, let me, let me, let sure. me interject one thing, but we are told by Klaus Schwab and others that you won't own anything in the future and you'll be happy. Now, my immediate response to that, because like Joe Racinello, I'm a, I'm an Italian from Newark, which means I'm inherently a troublemaker. Okay. So you first Klaus. You first, okay? <laughs> You're telling us that we can't own anything and we're going to be happy. You first. Sell your mansions. Sell your, sell all your property, okay? And don't own anything. Now, I, I, so I am going somewhere with that. I'm not just being, you know, this is what they say, but they don't exactly do that. I'm sure Bill Gates is completely on board with that. Do you, Michael Graney, let me bring you in. Um, this is important. Um, is there an assault on the right to private property on a, on a global level, um, or is that just right-wing conspiracy theory? Uh, well, it may be a conspiracy theory, but it happens to be fact. Well, you guys are talking about ownership. Yes. You're creating wealth through ownership, but we're told that we ought not strive to own anything. It's well, certainly it, anti-Catholic, okay, yeah. and, and anti can think of a lot of other things, all right, but the right to private property and the desire to want to own property. Michael, that, go ahead, Michael, I cut yeah. you off. Well, a number of people have pointed out that what this whole great reset thing it would institute is capitalism for the few and socialism for everybody else. And, like and in fact, if you go back through history, you, you've heard the expression rerum novarum, new things. New things. Yeah, it, it started with uh, uh, Gregory the Sixteenth back in 1834, but it had rerum novarum had a very special meaning for him. He was a classical scholar. And back in ancient Rome, if someone called something a new thing, he was saying it was revolutionary and a danger to society. So Leo XIII picked this up. And in order to stop these new things of socialism, modernism, new age, occult, all these weird things, and this is covered in the book, uh, The Greater Reset, by the way, in a small way, he said the, the one thing that will help this is if as many as possible of the people can own capital so that we all become owners. Now, this whole idea of you will own nothing and be happy, well, I'm not sure how you're defining happiness because capital ownership, as people throughout the ages have pointed out, is essential 
for you to have the power in order to become more fully human, or as we would say, virtuous. I realize well, Michael Graney, I, 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 again, Joe and I talk about this on the show all the time. The only way you could convince somebody that they're going to be happy, you're going to have to provide them something else. Now, that's a conversation we can have today, perhaps in the future, about why we're fighting a spiritual battle. And if you want to call it a culture war, what we think is that they convince you that you're going to be happy by providing you those things that they've convinced you will make you happy, namely the sex, drugs, and rock and roll culture. See, if you're stupefied and addicted, um, you, you're not going to worry about owning a house because that's going to require putting down childish things and addictions and actually acting like an adult, being responsible, improving your property, increasing the value of your property. OK, so we that's a whole other conversation. But we think Joe and I think that's the way they try to sell it. Don't worry about owning anything. Oh, and by the way, I got all this beautiful stuff for you over here behind the curtain. In the meantime, there's the, the wizards back there. We only well, have about you, seven minutes left, and I know I cut yeah. you guys short because yeah. we go ahead, Dawn. You were going to say something. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I just wanted to. Yeah, I just wanted to quickly interject that when you bring up the idea of ownership, you're talking and private property. You're talking about rights. You're talking about the right to the full fruits of what is produced, and you're also talking about the right of control over what you own. So if you tell someone they're going to own nothing then what you've said is they're going to have no control over what is produced and the incomes produced, and they're not going to have a right to the income itself. It will be something that someone else determines for you. So right. to get really quickly back to the CLDC, why this is relevant, is that this is one uh, very important productive asset, land. Okay, And the idea is if you have this a cooperative or, or corporation where everyone in the community is a, is a shareholder, then as land is developed, meaning, you know, in St. Louis, for example, that's where the focus is probably going to start is in very poor areas in St. Louis. They got a lot of land that's just lying, you know, nothing is being done. It's maybe even toxic. You've got buildings left uh, abandoned. If you have enough money and if you have a good plan of how this land could be renewed and made productive, and this is largely by you want to bring in productive enterprises and either in from the community or relocating to the community, then you can um, charge leasing fees for the use of the land. And so the idea is it's through these leasing fees or user fees that that's what the income to the CLDC would be. Once expenses are met, uh, then what's left is profit and, and all profits. This is a key thing. And this is a difference between um, the current way people think of earning dividends. Today's corporations, you they are not under any obligation to pay out any dividends. And there's historical reason for this. What we're saying is to bring back the full rights of private property and ownership. That means that the owner is entitled to the entire stream of profits due to that person. So in the case of the CLDC, once all expenses are met and you have profits to distribute, since everyone has an equal share, because they didn't put up their own money. And you know we're not talking about confiscating land from anyone. So this is land that's legitimately obtained. Those profits get shared, that's income. But it also is 
giving them an equal voice in how their communities, the land will be developed for um, business use, residential, you know, recreational, educational, whatever. But in this way, every person has a meaningful voice through a vote that they can use to elect representatives, they can be used to who select who will be the experts or what will be the design. How can we be part of designing our future? So this isn't just a few rich developers or the, the government saying how it will be designed. We're going to actually have shareholder rights in how the future is going to uh, be brought into reality. Absolutely. And Don Brohan, I, obviously, this is something that the federal government is probably going to watch closely because I, we personally believe the federal government does not want systems like this. Don Brohan and Michael Graney are joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. I feel like I've been neglecting Michael a little bit. I certainly cut him off a couple of times. Michael, you got a couple minutes on the last word on the conversation. Well, if you want to ask what this is all about, uh, this is early October. The Feast of Christ the King is coming up November 20th. The whole idea of that feast is that we should restructure the social order to provide the proper environment within which people can become virtuous, that is, happy. You raise this. What do you mean by happy? Well, Aristotle answered that question 2,500 years ago. Conforming to your own nature is true happiness. And part of that nature is that we have natural rights of life liberty, and private property, as well as some others in there that we won't go into. And what we're talking about with the Economic Democracy Act or the Greater Reset or the project in Missouri is how do we prepare the ground to create this society in which people can become most truly themselves, that is, become virtuous in the way that is meant. And this whole reign of Christ the King isn't just for Catholics or Christians. Pius XI made it very clear from the very beginning of his pontificate, this is for every single human being, whether you believe in God or not or anything else. Michael, we have to... Michael, we have to leave it there. And that was a great last word on this conversation about creating economic independence. What a what a pleasure it's been having Dawn Brohon and Michael Graney here at the front line with Joe and Joe and Joe Pasillo and Joe Rosinello. We know we're going to have them back. These are conversations that need, need to be had. So we want to thank you so much, both of you, for joining us here. Thank you both. What about the book, Joseph? Oh, and the book, The Greater Reset. Thank you, Joe. The Greater Reset. The Greater Reset. Okay, don't listen to Klaus Schwab. The Greater Reset, okay? And that's out at Tan Books. Go and buy it. Let's all educate ourselves on these matters. So please go ahead and do so. It is available at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. But go to Tan Books and buy it. And thank you all for joining us here at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Download the app, the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app, so that you can have access to all of our station's content and wherever you see joe and i on social media primarily the frontline tv on youtube like subscribe share do all that fun stuff and remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere we'll talk to you soon